Welcome back, everyone. This is Sports Rehab Expert. Today, we're going to be talking with Trent Nessler. He's with Ice Performance. He's a PT, uh, and he's going to be talking about some different wearable sensors that uh, are coming out and uh, really exciting to start looking at some different uh, return to play programs. We're going to talk a little bit about ACL programs, too. And uh, I'll let Trent introduce himself first, and then uh, we'll get into these, these wearable sensors a little bit. Well, thanks, Greg, and thanks for having me. Um, obviously, my name is Trent Nessler. I'm a physical therapist. I've uh, been a physical therapist for uh, over 20 years, uh, primarily functioning and in, in treating in sports medicine, orthopedics. Um, and uh, about uh, 18 years ago, back in the late 90s, uh, I started uh, treating a lot of kids with uh, uh, ACL reconstruction. Matter of fact, at that time, I had a practice. Uh, we had about uh, 10 therapists. Uh, and we had a practice, we had 22 ACLs walk into our practice in a two-week period of time. And as I was rehabbing these kids and as I was going through their rehabilitation, doing the traditional things that we do as, as physical therapists, and as I was getting these kids ready for discharge, watching their gait patterns and watching them run, I was seeing certain movement patterns that I knew intuitively uh, would set them up for risk for re-injury. Uh, so at that time, I actually went back and I did my doctorate with a focus in biomechanics and motor learning and started on this, what I call a calling. Uh, some people, you know, uh, I, I say I'm really passionate about it, but I, I truly feel like this was a calling for me. Uh, we started this journey uh, to try to find out how do you, I always felt like if I could assess it, I could treat it. So we got on this mission of trying to find a way to assess it. Um, you know, I'm kind of dating myself here, but it, uh, when we first started with this, we were using video cameras with little beta tapes. Uh, and so that's how we started. We were filming people in the clinic with beta tapes and watching certain movements, watching them do certain movements, and uh, gradually uh, progressed up to the point where we started using a technology called Darkfish, uh, which a lot of people are familiar with, the slow motion video, um, which was really, quite honestly, is very instrumental in my uh, evolution and understanding of movement. Um, uh, we used Darkfish for about 10 years and then uh, wanted to start to find a way to uh, automate the process. Because one of the things that we found, um, we wrote a, a college textbook on this back in um, probably about 2010, published it. Uh, and one of the things that we found is that we were training people on this and we were educating people about it is that you could train a lot of people on it. Um, but people who got really efficient with it and really good at it was about 10%. And so we needed to find a better way that we could get this to the masses because, as you may know, you know there's, there's over 250 to 300,000 ECL injuries every single year uh, in the U.S. You know, 79% of those kids who tear their ACL are going to have osteoarthritis in 12 years. 20% re-injure in the first three years and 30% in the, ne in the next five years. So we had to do something about this in a way that we could scale it so that it could really impact a mag the magnitude of that, right, uh, and get it out of the healthcare setting. So we started to look for ways to automate this. We, uh, we started with Microsoft. We started with the Xbox. Uh, we spent about three years programming the Xbox One to, um, to be able to provide this uh, automation. Um, and unfortunately, what we found is that there was just, there was a lot of error in that system. The, the technology that is used is called time of flight. Um, it's very sensitive to heat. It's sensitive to light, sensitive to speed. 
Uh, and so, you know, we spent about three years programming on that, and then we had to scrap the project. And then uh, uh, we came across a, a wearable sensor technology. We started looking for wearable sensor technologies because they were advancing so much. And uh, we came across a wearable sensor technology out of Australia. And uh, when I say wearable sensor technology, what I'm really referring to is what's called an IMU or an inertial measurement unit. And these small uh, units, what they have is an accelerometer, a gyrometer, a magnetometer. So they, they really detect motion, rotation, and acceleration data. Um, and the advances of them, they've become very, very accurate. Um, and so we came across a company that actually was working on an FDA approval for their sensor, uh, which was important to us because that, that says something about validity. It says something about the accuracy, the reliability of it. Uh, and so we started to work with them and programming in our movement assessment into their technology. Uh, so we actually launched the, the technology in August of 2016. Uh, and uh, for me, this was actually uh, the evolution of a, almost a 20-year process of trying to bring this out to the market. So uh, it's been really exciting. You know, it's, it's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of trial and error, uh, made a lot of mistakes in uh, uh, the really cool part of this now is that the amount of data that we collect is absolutely amazing. Um, we've got some really large research projects going on across the U.S. Uh, where we're collecting for every movement assessment that we do, we collect a thousand data points for every single movement assessment. And the information that we're learning is, is astounding. And the really cool part of all of this is the impact that we're having on injury rates having a huge impact on injury rates and healthcare costs. Awesome. Yeah, and the, the other cool thing too that I, we were talking beforehand and uh, um, is the, the accessibility of, of this type of equipment too. It's not, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not like you need some type of elaborate setup. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. a lot of, it's, it's very, it's not cumbersome. Um, it's, nope. it's very easeable and efficient seeming to wear too. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. You know, the, the, the system, uh, it includes a uh, surface laptop. It includes the wearable sensors. Um, you know, you know, one of the, one of the, the telltale signs of whether you're going to be able to take something to the market and scale it, uh, whether it's in a, in a performance center or a physical therapy center or an athletic training setting is can you do it in physicals? Because for any of us that have sat through physicals, it's controlled chaos. I mean, you may see 150 athletes in a day. You may see 300 athletes, right? So, so one of the things that we said is our goal is whatever we developed, we had to be able to implement into physicals. Because quite honestly, until we could do that, we weren't going to be able to screen and identify those that are greatest risk. And so uh, we've got this down to, you know, we just did a, a Division II college up in Michigan, really well-known Division II college up in Michigan, where we screened 400 athletes over four days. So we're processing about 109 athletes with this system. It's portable, uh, it's efficient, um, and extremely accurate. You know, the, the beauty of it is that it doesn't take a lot of skill to run it, um, and the sensors themselves um, take the need for our eyeballs out of it because it's, it's recording everything. Okay. What, the, what university, if, if you don't mind me asking? I'm from Michigan, so. It is Grand, oh, it's Grand Valley State. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah, the, uh, 
that's always the nightmare for people, isn't it? Kind of running a bunch yeah, of yeah. through real quickly. Yeah. Um, Especially and, with technology. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, it just, I mean, from PT school, you know, using the, the lab there and just, you know, it's this, I, I don't know how much was spent on the, all the equipment that was there, but, you know, it's expensive stuff and it's, it's not portable either. <laughs> well, you know, and, I, and I'll tell you, so, you know, one of the beauties of this system is that, uh, so it's been validated within 3% of a Viacon system, which is the system, obviously, that you're talking about. Those systems cost around $500,000, and then it takes about $80,000 a year to maintain them. Um, this system that we're using has been validated within 3% of a Viacon system. So the beauty of that is that with a Surface laptop and sensors, I can take it out on the field. I can take it to a field house. I can do it in a clinic. I can do it wherever the patients are at or wherever the athletes are at. So the, the beauty of that is I am getting biomechanical lab quality data anywhere I want. I can get it on the field. I can get it in the field house. I can get it in the clinic or in the performance center. Awesome. What's, um, is it, uh, so you said it comes with, you know, there's a, there's, a program for the computer is there any type of like app for phone available for something like that yet or is it you know you know so so again that's part of the limitation of the technology um you know right now the technology so you have your you have your laptop and you have a sensor and the sensor communicates to the laptop via what is called a, an rfd or a radio frequency device so the sensor communicates through that through a radio frequency um, and that's part of the limitation of the technology right now because um, you have to use a Microsoft-based uh, type of uh, laptop in order to do that. Now, that being said, Dorsa V uh, has um, uh, shrunk the size of the sensor, so the sensor is much smaller today. Um, that is being vetted in Australia right now, and those smaller sensors are actually Bluetooth. And, and so when, when, when those come available in the U.S., which will probably be in the next year, um, that will all be through uh, an iPad. So the beauty of that is right now we're limited to two sensors. Um, as soon as we integrate our, the system into the, the, the smaller sensor that's Bluetooth, we'll actually be able to add a third sensor. Um, because that's important for us, because right now what I'm getting is I'm getting how much uh, in single end performance, I'm getting how much valgus occurs at your knee and what speed does that occur? What I'm not getting and what I'm, what I'm self-recording right now is if you have a Trendelenburg or a retro Trendelenburg or a corkscrew at your hip, but the sensor is not capturing that. So when we integrate the smaller sensor that is Bluetooth, we'll actually have a sensor on the pelvis that will actually capture rotation of the pelvis or drop of the pelvis. Okay. So we'll actually be able to score that. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we'll go, let's go into the ACL sure. uh, screen a little sure. bit, the different tests that you run. Um, sure. Real quick. So yeah, you, you may go over this too, but would you sure. look at their knee separately and then come back and look at their pelvis or, or what, what is your process look like yeah so 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 the 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 process is we have a standardized test that we use everybody uses the same test the test is it's physically challenging uh you know i i, I tell people it it is it is intended to fatigue you it's intended to make you sweat it's intended to make you work because what i don't want to know is what you look like when you step on the field i want to know what you look like after you've been on the field 
So this test is 83 repetitions total in three one-minute time tests. So the test consists of you start with a one-minute plank. So with the one-minute plank, that you have two uh, sensors on your on your one on your thoracic and one on your lumbar, and it will tell us if you're able to stabilize your spine within eight degrees of flexion and extension and rotation for a full one-minute period of time. Then what we do is we go to a squat. We do 20 squats, and the sensors, again, are placed on your thoracic spine and your lumbar spine. And during the squatting motion, we'll be able to see how much lumbar flexion do you get during the squatting motion, because one of the things that we know now is that if you have too much lumbar flexion, your center of mass comes too far forward, and that leads to some of that quad dominance theory that we talk about. So that's one thing. And two, we also know that if you get too much lumbar flexion, that puts a lot of stress on your disc and could cause you know, disc problems. The other thing that we look for is we actually look, if I took a plumb line and I dropped it from your cervical spine down to your sacrum and I had to do a squat, your hips should remain relatively equal distance from that plumb line. If they're not, you're shifting your weight over to one side or to the other. And we all know it makes sense that if you shift your weight over to one side, there's more force on one side and less on the other. There's more EMG on one side and less on the other. Well, now the studies have actually shown that. So we call that a lateral shift. It's actually what the research calls a lateral displacement of the pelvis during a squatting motion. Much more articulate than I, we just refer to it as the lateral shift. So during the squatting motion, what the sensors will do is actually detect with every single repetition how much lumbar flexion you get as well as how much lateral shift you get with every single rep. The third test we do is a side plank. So we do side plank right, side plank left. That's done for one minute period of time. Again, the sensors on the thoracic and the lumbar and we can see within eight degrees if you're able to maintain lateral side bending or rotation uh, for that full one minute period of time. Then what we do is the system will prompt you to take the sensors off of the thoracic and the lumbar spine and place them on the lower limb. Now what we do is we go all single limb test. So first we go to the right side, we do everything on the right side, and then we go to the left side and do everything on the left side. Part of the reason we do that is twofold. Number one, so we want to build up fatigue because we know that as you get tired, you move, your efficiency of movement is less. We know that your performance is less. So we want to see what it looks like when you're at your worst. So what we do is we do 10 single leg squats, 10 single leg hops, eight single leg hop plants, and then we do a test called the ankle lunge test. I'll explain those in just a second. During those motions, what the sensor does is it will actually detect how much varus and valgus occurs at your knee during the, during the motion, and also the speed of valgus. So one of the things that we found is that, you know, as Dr. Andrews is really good about talking about in the ulnar collateral ligament, he talks about the ulnar collateral ligament. It's not only the amount of, of motion that occurs at that joint that causes the ulnar collateral ligament to rupture in pitchers, but it's the speed at which that motion occurs. Because the ACL, just like the UCL, is sensitive to how much force is, is generated in a fast period of time. So what we know is that if you do a single leg squat and your knee falls into a valgus, let's say it falls in at 10 degrees, we know that's bad. But if it falls in at 20 degrees per second, it's not so bad. If it falls in at 100 degrees per second, it's worse. So now what we know is that we can track both the ma magnitude of your motion, but also the speed at which that occurs. So we do your 10 single leg squats, then we go to 10 single leg hops. We just have them do an explosive hop up. 
With the explosive hop-up, again, what we're tracking is how much frontal plane motion occurs at your knee, but also how much, uh, uh, what is the speed of that valgus that occurs at your knee. In a, single leg, in a single leg hop, what we know is that if your knee falls into a valgus at greater than 100 degrees per second, that's bad. So, um, and then the hop plant is one where we have the athlete actually jump forward, backwards, lateral, and then medial. Part of the reason that we do that is we want to see when an athlete jumps medial and your center of mass is driving medially and you land on your leg, can you control that valgus stress that occurs at your knee? Because it's generally, it's going to happen, right? So we want to see, can you control the amount of, of valgus that occurs at your knee, but also the speed at which that occurs? So what we, know, what we know now is that if that occurs at greater than 135 degrees per second, that you're at greater risk. Now, that being said, we see athletes, high-level athletes, Division I athletes, that will have a valgus of greater than 20 degrees at 265 degrees per second. And the really interesting thing is, is that when we see those athletes and we look at what, the, what those really high speeds, they've also have a congruent uh, history of hamstring strains, patellofemoral issues, IT band friction syndrome, a lot of non-contact related injuries. What we also see in our studies is that when we reduce both the magnitude and the speed at which that magnitude occurs, is that we have a significant reduction of injury rates. The final test that we do is to clear the ankle. Um, it's called the ankle lunge test. It was done first in the military back in 2012. Um, and it's the one where you place your foot up against the wall and then you drive your knee towards the wall. And then you slowly slide your foot away and measure how much distance can you get your foot away from the wall without your heel rising off the floor. What the original study showed is that if you have a 1.5 centimeter difference between your right side and your left side, you're at a threefold increased risk for ankle sprains. So when we do that test, we essentially do the same thing, but we're doing it with a sensor. <clears throat> and it also provides us uh, a symmetry in dorsiflexion for your right side to your left side. Now, all that being said, one of the other things that we measure with all the single end tests, the single leg squat, single leg hop, hop plant, and the ankle lunge, is how much dorsiflexion you get. Because you and I both know that you'll, you'll get those athletes that know subconsciously that they can't control their knee, so they don't go as well. So the system will actually dock them if they don't, if they don't go into enough uh, knee flexion or dorsiflexion in a squat, or if they modify it differently than their opposite side. So by going through this test, not only do we capture all of those data points, so every single rep is scored, so not only do we capture all of those data points, the other thing that we do is we actually get limb symmetry index. So your limb symmetry index is based off of your side plank, right or left, single leg squat, hop, hop plant, and the ankle lunge test. So we get 124 points for the right side, 124 points for the uh, left side. And we're able to see from a limb symmetry standpoint, are you ready to return to play? You know, what we know from, you know, the, the uh, Romman study from uh, 2014 is that uh, for 93% of norms have a limb symmetry index of 85%. So we kind of use that 85%, 85% of your opposite side to kind of make that determination for return to play. But as you and I both know, you can have 85% of really cruddy movement, right? So we also take into effect of even though you have 85%, are you controlling the amount of motion at your both of your knees and the speed at both of your knees? Because if both of your knees are falling at 20 degrees 
or falling into 20 degrees of valgus at 265 degrees per second, I would say you're probably at risk. Yeah. I know that was way more detailed than you were. <laughs> oh, that, that's, that was awesome. It, it brings up a lot of uh, thinking points for myself. Um, sure. What's, um, so how long would it take someone to, to run through that test? Just, uh, you know, someone who's, who's done the test a few times before, how long does sure. it take to run through something like that with a person? You know, when we, when we do physicals, it takes us 15 minutes per athlete. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've done this uh, now. We've done it in the NFL. We've done it in Division I athletics, and we've done it in high school athletics. Okay. Um, so we've got the, the process down. So typically when someone uh, uh, purchases a system, the first thing we say is don't do physicals. You know, uh, don't, 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 don't take your first test to go out and try to do a bunch of physicals. Yeah. You need to get proficient at the system. You know, once you're proficient at the system, you understand the system, how the system functions, um, you understand how the, the whole, because in, introducing IT, I mean, it's, it's one thing to introduce movement assessment into physicals, totally another to introduce IT into physicals, because there's, there's things that you don't even think about. I'll give you a perfect example. We went um, to do uh, assessments for an NFL team, and uh, the, the, we were in a dome, uh, and their dome had stadium-quality Wi-Fi in there that was so powerful that it was overriding our RFDs. And so we couldn't pick up our sensors. You know, but it's stuff like that that we now know um, that we just need to know, to know to ask these certain questions. Right. So what we always tell people is get proficient at the system. Once you're proficient at the system, it takes about 15 minutes. Okay. Do you, um, so one thing we always talk about in the profession too is, you know, how, um, how specific can you be to the, the sporting event? Um, so yeah. Like yeah. All, all these tests are awesome and there, there's a lot of validity to everything that, that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it, one thing I talk about with it's ACLs. not sport specific. Yeah, one thing I talk about ACLs all the time, I relate it to basketball all the time, but you have two-step approach jumpers. You have, uh, you know, one-foot jumpers, too, where they're, they're translating horizontal force to yep. vertical force. And uh, it, do you guys look at anything like that with the, the sensors at all, too? or? So, so that's a great question. Two things. Number one is uh, I'll, I'll answer the elephant in the room. It's not, it's not sport specific. And the reason, the reason being is that this is a movement-specific test because I've yet to read a paper by Hewitt, Powers, Stearns, Myers, or anyone else that says this motion at your knee is only associated with soccer or football or lacrosse. What they say is that this motion at your knee is bad for all sports, right? So, so what we do is, and what we did is we actually went to the literature and we said, okay, here's the really smart people when they are looking for these movements, what do they do? And you see some common trends, single leg squat, single leg hop. That's, what, that's why we brought all of these tests together in that battery of tests. That being said, what we typically do for our return to play is we'll do a movement assessment. We'll see, can you control this first before you go to the functional test? Can you do this first? That's number one. And then number two, what we do is the sensors also have the ability that I can hook them up to you, I can take you out to the field, and I can have you do a 30-yard mass acceleration, deacceleration. So I wanna see in a, in, a, in a max sprint, A cell, D cell, can you, do you have limb symmetry? Um, because what the sensors will tell me is that when your foot comes into contact with the ground, 
what's called your initial peak acceleration. Are you controlling your foot into the ground? So I will know, I will know what your IPA is on your right side versus your left side. And that's a critical measure because if there's, if there's a, if there's a one G difference between your right side and your left side, you're like at a, you're at a 20% increased risk for injury. The other thing that it measures is your cadence bilateral right side to left side. It'll measure your stride length right side to left side. And then it'll also measure ground reaction force at mid stance. So what that does, it provides us that measure on the field. Now, what I can't do is I can't put the sensor on somebody and have them go run an L drill. I can't have them go do some layups. And the reason for that, you could do that with the sensors, but it won't produce an automated report. Because in order for it to produce an automated report, the, the system has to be programmed to say, this is what you're looking for. This is specifically what you're looking for. And because there are so many different functional tasks, it's just really hard to program that. So what we've done is we've programmed the basic movement assessment. We've, we've programmed the sprint assessment to give you the kind of that base return to play. So then you can go back onto the field and do some real aggressive agility training and then test that agility training. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I didn't think about that concept having to. Yeah. System needs to know what you're, you're trying to do too. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there, you know, again, I mean, it, you know, it's technology and there's some limitations to every technology that's out there. You know, um, the beautiful thing about this is that we've been in from the ground floor and in with all the programmers. So we actually know what all the limitations are. And, and I'll tell you, you know, as a PT, I didn't know anything about tech. I mean, I knew something about technology, but I didn't know anything about wearable sensors or anything like that. And, and one of the things that I would advise to all of your listeners is that when you are investigating technology, understand that the people selling this to you are tech people. They're not biomechanists and they're not clinicians. So they are not going to apply that critical clinical eye to the reliability and the validity of that. When you ask somebody, does this connect system, does it, does it track movement? Yes, it tracks movement. What they won't tell you is that we programmed out a 20% error rate. So you never see it. The tech guy's not going to tell you that, but you and I both know that if, if I've got a 20% error rate in my measurement, that's probably not too good. Yeah. What, um, so you mentioned the, like you said it, it can uh, record ground contact time. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, initial peak acceleration and ground reaction force. Ground reaction force. Okay. Um, cause that could give you some indication too of, of force output of the, the, the leg. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so one of the things I will tell you, um, that is not reported in the automated report. So everything that this system reports onto the report has to have been validated. Um, that's a part of the fact that, that this system has been FDA approved is that anything that comes out of the report has to be validated. So that being said, one of the things that the system does capture for every single hop and every single hot plant is flight time. So because we, we capture the athlete's weight and we capture flight time, we would be able to calculate force. So you can pull that from the system. You can pull uh, an Excel spreadsheet that shows you what their flight time is. So you could actually get their force output right side to left side for the hop and the hop plant. And then use that as a part of your limb symmetry for force production, Okay, which is cool. Yeah, definitely, for sure. 
Um, okay. Uh, any, is this primarily being used for lower extremity stuff right now, or is there anything upper extremity involved too? Or? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great question. You know, uh, right now it's limited to lower extremity. Um, and, you know, we started with a lower extremity, and why did we do that? Because, as you and I both know, 70% of injuries are related to the lower extremity. Um, and 80% 80, 80 of force production is related to uh, lower extremity. So I, want, I wanted to address the majority of injuries in athletics, number one, but I also wanted to address the majority of performance issues in, in athletics as well. Because one of the things I want people to understand is this is not just an injury prevention tool. It is a performance enhancement tool. We actually just did a project in Division I uh, volleyball and we showed that if an athlete improves their performance on this test, they not only get an improvement in vertical jump, but also in clean and jerk. So there is some direct correlation to force output. Now, but your, your question was around upper extremity. There are some wearable sensors out there that are capturing upper extremity. Part of the challenge, as you and I both know, is that you have to capture the humerus, you gotta capture the scapula, how the scapula articulates with the rib cage, you got to capture all of that stuff. And quite honestly, it's not there yet. There is a wearable sensor out there right now that is capturing torques uh, at the elbow for UCL injuries. It's a great tool. Uh, some uh, great research behind it. Um, one of the, the lead guys behind that is a guy by the name of uh, Glenn Flysix, who's out of uh, ASMI in Birmingham, Alabama, um, who's done pretty much most of the research related to UCL injuries in baseball players. Um, so it's got some solid science behind it. Part of the problem is though, is it's giving you torques and it's giving you a lot of data. But as I look at the data, it's like, how, what do I do with the data? So actionable data, that's always important for me. It's one thing to get data. It's another to get data that I can actually influence with my treatment. I can influence it with my programs. I can influence it and make it better. You know what I mean? Right. So there is, there is a big drive right now to get uh, motion of the upper extremity, um, but the sensors are just not quite there. And I'll tell you, you know, there's, there's uh, um, <laughs> I looked at one the other day. There's some sensors that are coming out in shirts. Like you can put it, it, it's a sensor shirt. You can wash it in your washing machine and it's supposed to be accurate. You know, and, and so again, I go to the fact of what I said earlier about look at these things with some degree of, of question um, because, you know, it's supposed to be giving you joint angles, but yet, I don't know about you, my shirt kind of moves around on my arms, right? So is it truly a joint angle? I don't know. I mean, but, but these are things that we have to ask ourselves. And I think as clinicians, we can probably evaluate this stuff a little bit with a more critical eye. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, the point too of using data, you got to have, it's got to change your, it's got to impact your treatment and how you, um, Amen. How you go about addressing someone too. It's not yeah. enough just to have data, but it is, it is yeah. nice. It is nice to have some of that, uh, information because it, it, it's physical. Sometimes when you're just talking about, um, something to somebody, it, it's more abstract and it's, it's your eye, not necessarily always yep. what they're feeling. And, uh, so sometimes having that to back it up helps, helps your stance as well too. Well, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I, um, you brought up a critical point. So, you know, one of the things that we've incorporated into this system is actual video. Um, and the reason that we incorporated video, and there are studies out there that are showing that now, 
Um, I think there was an Ardeen study in 2014 journals of, uh, Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy that showed that if you show somebody a video of how they, how they run, um, it actually makes a bigger impact on them. Um, and we found the same thing, okay? I go in, whether it's a college or a pro team, I'm Joe Blow PT. Nobody knows who I am. And I go into a superstar football player, and I say, you move like this and you move like that. And they're like, do you know who I am? I don't move like that. But now I've got video, and I can show them, look how you move. And this is how it impacts your performance. And so by having that video, and that was an important piece, by having the video and actually showing them how they move, you get an instantaneous buy-in. So there is, there is, there's no longer that conflict of I'm Joe Blow PT, you have no idea who I am. This is just pure fact. You can see how you move. Here's the 3D data that's showing us how much you move. And this is how, this is how we're going to measure it and how we're going to improve it. And this is what it's going to do for your performance. Right. For sure. And uh, yeah, I, I do get pull my phone out all the time when I'm working with someone in the gym or things like that to show them. Um, the, the one I think is really cool. And uh, this would, this interests me because I, I see a lot of people with, um, I see a lot of like squatters, hip impingement type of uh, scenarios going on. Um, and just the, uh, Lateral shift is a little bit more obvious visually. Um, yeah. Yep. But uh, how much, say, like anterior rotation of an anominate is is yep. occurring? That's a little bit more abstract to kind of see, visualize yep. on video too. And uh, I think I saw research. I'm not really sure where it was from, but um, the single leg, uh, like a tap down off of an elevated surface, someone with hip impingement has a predisposition to anteriorly rotate their uh, anominate uh, much sooner than say someone who was uh, asymptomatic or did, never had any symptoms. Um, and just like, the type of ability with the sensors to kind of pick up on something like that would be, would be awesome. Well, and I tell you, you know, you, you bring up a good point. So one of the things that we've seen, and in, in, um, again, this is, we're now in about our fifth year of data collection with women's soccer. Um, and so we see this a lot in our women's soccer players. But when you get them in a single leg squat, or a single leg hop or a hop plant. Um, what we see is that sometimes they can control their knee, but they lose everything at their pelvis. Um, and so one of the things, so we, we, call, we call it a corkscrew, which is basically kind of a Trendelenburg with rotation. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we've seen is that when athletes have that corkscrew, um, is that there's also a higher rate of uh, hip labral tears. And it makes a lot of sense because as they rotate, they're basically shearing that femoral head across that labor. And so one of the things that we found is that when we identify that and we train away from that and we train them uh, uh, in exercises that help improve that, um, is that we've had a massive reduction in hip labral tears in soccer players. And so that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons that we really want to get that third sensor on the pelvis because a third sensor on the pelvis will not only not only capture the difference between a Trendelenburg and a corkscrew, but it also gives us the speed. Because one of the things that we don't know yet is if you have a corkscrew at your hip and it occurs at 20 degrees per second, is that bad? Or is it 100 degrees per second? Or is it 150 degrees per second? We don't know. But I, the cool part of that is, is that soon we'll be collecting that data. And then we'll know that if you fall in at 110 degrees per second, that's bad. And then we can score it. 
And we can make that a part of the movement assessment. And then we can make that a part of our correctives to see if, are we truly changing that? Because that's the other thing. You know, when I go around the country and I talk to our orthopedic surgeons, what I tell them is this is an accountability measure for your therapist. Because as a therapist, I always said I, I changed movement, but did I really change movement or did I change my point that I put in on dart fish by five degrees, right? So that's always been the question. Now we'll know, uh, do they have, are they controlling their valgus better and are they controlling their speed of valgus better? Are the exercise programs that we're doing truly impacting those things that we know put them at risk for injury? When you, so you, with the, you brought up the point of, uh, you know, where you put the dot on um, dartfish. Uh, yep. When you place the sensors uh, on the athletes, um, what type mm -hmm. of, uh, is there like a measurement system kind of? How where? do we standard, yep, how do we standardize it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, so, so one of the things that, you know, one of the things that I always try to do with all the research projects that we do, you know, and you know this, is, is you're developing your research, you develop your methods, right? And you standardize it so everybody's doing it exactly the same. So all we simply did is we took that methodology and we applied it to what we're doing. So now uh, we actually have templates. So the, the uh, lumbar and thoracic, um, basically you do a palpation, to get the lower uh, lumbar uh, sensor. And we have a template that you place over the top of that that is based on height that allows you to place the upper, uh, upper sensor. So everybody's doing it the same. For the lower extremity, we actually have a, a tool that measures from the inferior medial mouth, and then you go up by height and you place it on the tibia. So it's all placed exactly the same. So um, we've done some intra and inter-rater reliability on that. And it's got a really high inter intra-rater reliability because we've just standardized it. Yeah, so you're finding some pretty easy palp palpation marks and then using yep. it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. The ones, the ones that we can all find. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, all right. Uh, anything, anything else kind of new coming on the horizons with this too, or is uh, what's what do you see? Um, your next step with it too. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's great that you asked that. So, you know, we, um, uh, along with the, the movement assessment, um, it's called the, the V-Perform AMI, uh, which is part of the Dorsa V system. Um, along with the movement assessment, uh, we actually launched an app last year uh, called ACL Play It Safe. And ACL Play It Safe uh, is a program that was designed specifically to improve performance on this task. So, you know, um, what I always tell people is, you know, and I was just uh, meeting with a college yesterday, and I said, you know, when you pull up the app and you look at the exercise, you're not going to go, wow, this is rocket science. This is just such amazing new stuff. It's not. It's basic. Um, there are six exercises that you do. There's, there's three you do at the beginning of practice and six that you do at the end of practice. What makes it effective is we do some dynamic warm-ups, which everybody does, right? Uh, we do that before practice. Then we have them do practice. Then we take all of that fatigue that they've created in practice and we carry it over into fatigue state training. So our program is done all in a fatigue state. And what we do is we, we, we created specific exercises to target the specific movements that we're measuring. Because we know 
if you improve performance on those measurements, you reduce your risk. So, you know, we do single leg squats. That's part of the exercise program. But we do all of that in a fatigue state. Um, that being said, um, by doing that, we're showing a uh, an average. We're saving our colleges and average our average colleges between thirty to fifty thousand dollars in healthcare savings by simply doing this program with their teams. Wow. So that's from a healthcare perspective. That's that's a pretty significant savings. On the injury side, we're having an average of a fifty-eight point two percent reduction in lower extremity injuries. That's huge. That's not just ACLs. I mean, we we are reducing ACLs up to ninety percent. That's all lower extremity injuries. So foot, ankle, knee, hip, and low back, all the way up the kinetic chain. So we're having a big impact on those as well. But the other thing that we're that we're showing is that when you do this program, that you have a an average of a forty one point improvement on the movement assessment. And we've shown that with a P value. So P value of 0.05 shows pretty strong correlation we have a p-value of 0.001 which is a very strong correlation do this exercise you'll improve performance on the test so one of the exercises that we do in in anybody can pull up the app it's called acl play it safe they can pull up the app the app is free um, and one of the exercises on the app is called uh, the spiral technique uh, so we did this with theraband and kramer and theraband has um, I don't know if you've seen the CLX band. Yeah. It's basically the TheraBand with the loops in it. Yeah. So basically what we do is we actually created a technique where we pull that top loop all the way up over the thigh. We circle it around the thigh, connect it to the opposite limb. So instead of the traditional exercise where we'd have somebody do a single leg squat and we'd pull their knee in towards midline, make them go into an adduction, adducted position, the yep. studies show that that has an increase in EMG activity of the glute mean, but it's minimal. So what we're doing is with the spiral technique, you actually create adduction and internal rotation. Because the band, because it's looped around your thigh, it actually pulls you in an internally rotated position. So that's one of the exercises that's in the app um, that we found has a high EMG impact, impact on the EMG of the glute medius. And I think because we're doing that in a fatigue state, it's also one of the reasons. So your question was around, where's the next step? Next step for me is at the end of the day, 250, 300,000 ACL injuries every single year. That's a lot of kids getting injured. And the only way that we're gonna address this epidemic is to pull it outside of the healthcare model. Unfortunately, if, if it's just you and I touching these kids, we're gonna touch 1%. So we have to get it out into a consumer-based model. So where I see this going in the next couple of years is integration of some of these exercises that we're doing with an app so that an athlete can watch themselves actually perform the movement and be scored if they're able to keep their knee in space, right? So if they're controlling that valgus and that, that speed of valgus, then they, they actually score better on whatever, you know, you make it competitive. So they're scoring a little bit better. But at the same time, you include a wearable sensor. So that the wearable sensor actually gives them direct feedback on how much valgus occurs and what is the speed of that valgus. And at the same time, with the communication with apps, you could tie in a notification. So that if an athlete is falling into too much risk, the app would actually notify them, hey, there's, there's Bob over here two miles away from you that offers this movement assessment. Why don't you go get an assessment by him? Because then what you do is you take somebody who's a consumer-based model 
and you refer them into the healthcare system when they're at risk before they've ever had an injury. And that, I think that's how we would truly impact uh, these injury rates on a, a much higher level. Yeah, definitely. Um, if, if someone wants to, is there like a certification process that goes into to utilizing this or how does someone go about uh, if they're interested learning more about it? Yep. Yep. So they can, they can go to our website. It's www.iceperform.com. Uh, and on there, they can get some more information about the Vperform AMI. Uh, we also do have a certification. Uh, we have a cert uh, four levels of certification. Level one is, is basically getting to understand the science behind it all, uh, the assessment, how do you interpret the results of the assessment, um, and how do you create correctives to correct those movements. Um, level two goes more into fatigue state and then level three more of return to play and running. So we actually include a whole running piece of it. You know, one of the beautiful things about these sensors is if you got a marathon runner and they're telling you, you know, I start, I start really having pain around mile 13 or 14. I'm not going to fall on for 14 miles. I can't run that far. Yeah. So, so what the beautiful thing of this is, is that we can actually hook the sensor up to them and have them go for a two or three hour run and then come back and download the data and see where do they start to fall apart. Okay, gotcha. Um, is it, uh, I'll put a link to, uh, I'll put a link to that in the, when the show notes sure. section, so sure. go access it. Is it, uh, is it limited strictly to um, healthcare practitioners or there's a lot of strength coaches on the website I work yep. with? Absolutely. Them too. They can. Abs absolutely. So, so what, what we have done and again, that's part of, part of the reason that I message this, that biomechanics is, bi you, we both know that. Biomechanics is biomechanics. You have faulty biomechanics, it puts you at risk for injury. But if you have faulty biomechanics, you're not gonna lift as much. You're not gonna be as explosive. You're not gonna run as long. You're not gonna be able to jump as high. So for me, this is really, it is really as much a performance piece as it is an injury prevention piece. So. You know, I was just, I actually uh, just did a talk at NSCA in Chicago, um, which was all strength coaches. Um, and I'm a firm believer in that, you know, uh, we should be addressing this from both a performance standpoint, uh, athlete standpoint, as well as clinically what we do. Yeah, I, I totally agree too, because I, you, you look at this, it, this it, it, Prevention isn't necessarily sexy for the general public, but performance is. Amen. And, uh, you know, if Amen. you can get into with um, some type of performance setting, have some, yep. it could be a strength coach, it could be a, a PT who's going into the performance setting. Yep. Things yep. Too. Uh, I think that that's where it's going to have the bigger impact as far as injury reduction on a entirety scale. <clears throat> Absolutely. And, I, and I'll tell you, for, for our strength coaches out there, uh, one of the beauties of this system, remember, we're collecting a thousand data points for every single assessment. So if when a strength coach gets one of these systems, they have their own database. So if they see 400 athletes, they'll start to be able to start to tweeze out what are some trends. We'll know that if, if, if an athlete scores this and they're a division one running back, they're probably going to be more successful because we've had 50% of our guys that score this are really successful in division one football. So you'll start to be able to see trends eventually over time. And that's our goal. I mean, our goal is that, you know, by the end of, by the end of next year, so we're launching this uh, hopefully in the fourth quarter to the UK and Australia, 
once we do that, our goal is to have data on over 50,000 athletes by the end of next year, 100,000 by the end of 2020. That's powerful data. Yeah. So think about all the things that we could tweeze out about that. How does a 16-year-old female soccer player run or move that is successful? Um, what makes the difference between a Division One running back who's not successful and successful, you know, from a movement perspective? You know, can you screen that out in physicals? Can you screen that out at combines? You know, right. So I, th I think there's just so much that we'll be able to do once, once we have more data. Oh, for sure. And this is even longer, but, I mean, looking at, I mean, you mentioned the performance, you know, what makes a good running back, but what yeah. uh, potentially gives uh, a line – creates a longevity career. In right, yeah. So. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, just want to thank you for your time, Trent. Uh, appreciate you Absolutely. speaking to all the, the subscribers of the site. And uh, we'll put some links up there so people can look into it right. too. Uh, any final words or closing thoughts that you have? And feel free to throw your contact information in there. Sure. Too. Sure. You know, I, I, I think in closing, I would just say that, um, you know, I've, uh, throughout my entire professional career, I've had people discourage me and tell me you can't do something. And, and what I would tell people is don't ever, don't ever believe you can't believe you can. Um, because here I am, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Um, and we've brought a product to the market that I think is going to truly impact uh, ACL injuries. I think that keep abreast of what technology is out there. Look at it with a critical eye. Um, make sure that you're not influenced by techies. Uh, you know, it can look sexy, it can feel sexy, but is it truly valid and reliable? And I think, I think we, as strength coaches, athletic trainers, physical therapists, we need to evaluate those things for the reliability and the validity of it um, because technology is advancing really, really fast. Um, you know, our, our contact information, they can go to www.iceperform.com um, and my contact information is on there, or they can always email me. Uh, and my email is trent.nessler at yahoo.com. Awesome. All right. We'll put links to that in the show notes too. So Great. thanks everybody for listening in. Thank you, Greg.